we are back today with a doozy. We are diving back into the nitty gritty shitty part of life. Did I just invent that? I think I just invented that. You get to hear from one of my favorite people, and I'm going to go ahead and say she might actually be my funniest friend. We have lived a lot of life together, and when we met, she was in quite the predicament, to say the least, and she's going to tell you all about it with our signature jokes that are V-inappropriate, threaded all throughout. So without further ado, meet my bestie. TK, also known as Shakira, the one and only and infamous for many reasons, Taylor Kirsch. Well, she's married now, Taylor Guagliardo. Let's do it. Okay, wrap, give it to I me. I gotta get the, the melody going. Let's see. Work it out. Just just work it out in real time. Oh, shoot. Shit. Shit or shoot? Shit. We say we'll shit. Say shit. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Are we doing this thing today? About to break the internet with our truth telling. Blazing trails like Magellan. Breaking hearts, though farts be smelling. Y'all didn't see us coming or even hear us. Helen. Keller. Keller. Nine <laughs> in the week. Teaching shy botches. How about botches? How to speak. One thing we never been called is meek. We'll work on that, but probably not till next week. Maybe one day others will be as dope as us, but I don't know. For them, it looks bleak. Mic drop. Usher Shack, your favorite two freaks. That's original right there. That was a treat. Um, okay, well, <clears throat> now that that is out of the way, mm-hmm. we are going to attempt to talk about some serious stuff at some point, but knowing yeah. us... You know, that can, it can go from serious to not yeah. ebb and flow in a blink of an eye. So people got to be ready, stay on their toes. It's what brought us so, together. It is. Um, we need to give a little backstory about our love affair mm-hmm. and how we became the bosom buddies that we are. has I mean like even thinking over the email you sent with like here's some stuff we might go over some topics I started to get slightly nervous when I was thinking about it this morning because I was like oh man for me I have to get in serious mode it has to be like a conscious okay Taylor set mm-hmm. the jokes in a little box and put them away it's time sure. to talk about the real things but then I was like, you know, actually, I feel like what a lot of what brought us together is the fact that in the midst of the serious things, we could still find a way to make it funny and get right back to the serious things. Literally retweet. Because when we first started hanging out, we were both kind of like swimming around the butthole of life. Do you remember that? Do you remember that water slide at Lake Lanier Islands, the toilet bowl? Do you remember yeah. that one? And you like uh-huh. went in a circle and then dropped. I mean, it literally was a toilet mm-hmm. bowl. That's kind of how mm-hmm. we both were in life. Mm-hmm. And we had so much fun. We did. Swimming around with those life turds. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. The happy tears and the sad tears blended together. Mm-hmm. Because there were so many times where we had sad tears and then it would just turn into really happy tears just mm-hmm. on one straight. Yep. Same breath. Mm-hmm. Same breath. Uh, what's one of your favorite memories from our early days? Um, <laughs> I remember I was working at Mellow Mushroom in Gainesville around the time we our friendship started blooming. We were still banned from there. <laughs> and I was also pretty new to actually following Jesus at that point in time. And mm-hmm. so there was one night where I just got off work and I was like, let's hang, let's do something. And you and I 
were like, well, what do we, what do we do in Gainesville, Georgia when, oh, I when forgot you're not about going that. out and just getting drunk and high, what do you do? And I was like, serious question. What do you do? Cause I'm new at this. Um, and we randomly, I think it was probably your idea. Tracks. We're like, let's just go to Walmart, see what we can find. Let's let the, let's let the Walmart products speak to us. Tell the us Holy Spirit lead us to some wholesome fun. <laughs> so we ended up getting a lot of water balloons. Mm-hmm. And I remember us going back to my mom and dad's house to fill up the water balloons. And I remember it was like probably 9 30, 10 o'clock at night. And my parents were like, what are y'all doing? As we just fill up water balloons in the kitchen and like make a pile of them in this basket. And we were like, nothing. We're just like, we're just nothing. And they're like, Oh, okay. Where are you? Are you like going to have a late night water balloon fight with some other people? And we we're like, no, no, we're not positive what we're going to do with them yet. <laughs> But we'll we find <laughs> and we just filled up water balloons we and we drove around Gainesville and we went up to the square. I hope that somebody who got hit listens to this podcast. That would really be one of those full circle God moments. Here's the thing. It was like a Tuesday. So it's not like people were out <laughs> doing anything. So I'm pretty sure the people that did get hit got hit like multiple times because they were the <laughs> only people. <laughs> on the sidewalks we just started pelting random (laughs) green strangers who probably were doing a late night stroll because of some own trauma and their life that they were processing and they're like you know i don't really want to go out um and do anything crazy i just want to walk laps around the square being alone me and god talking talking and walking and just bam Water balloon life side of the head. That and you're right. We did we it wasn't like we were even ashamed of it. We just did Mm -hmm. a lap and came back and hit him again. It was Mm -hmm. the craziest thing. I remember I did feel bad because somebody was walking their dog on Green Street and it landed like right next to their dog and their dog broke out. (laughs) Yeah, that was a good one. I had actually forgotten about that. I think mine, I just have memories of us laying between the wall and (laughs) your bed in the apartment that we shared together. So Taylor and I lived together for a year and it, it was by far the most memorable year of my life. And I just remember us laying there between the bed, probably actually a hundred percent intoxicated and just hugging each other and laughing non-stop and then we would like start crying and then just start laughing and we just laid there for who knows how long we would do you coloring my hair black after a couple margaritas one random underground uh uh-huh underground atlanta black santa Santa. yes underground atlanta am i allowed to say black santa i might have to take that out can I say no, Black Santa? I think that was his. Um, that was his whole spiel. Trademark. His, his okay. Business card literally said the real Black Santa of Underground Atlanta. And remember what a small oh, world. I get it. Like, it Santa. And he was like, "Who's your uncle?" Yeah. I said, "Mark Kirsch." He said, "He was my partner in Santa school." And I was Ooh. like, <laughs> "Didn't know there was a Santa school. There's a school to become Santa." And they were partners, little project partners on their little, that is I, don't know, wild. I don't know what projects you do together in Santa school, but maybe like cookie eating and mm-hmm. yeah, child, yeah, yeah. I almost, almost took that dark. So <laughs> where to keep your hands, mm-hmm. how to eat cookies, what to do if you're mm-hmm. lactose intolerant. When we first started hanging out, can you tell me just a little bit about what was going on. We met in kind of a weird season for me as far as like, I'd had the same group of friends literally my whole life, just doing the same dumb things weekend after weekend. 
lots of partying and lots of just being young and dumb. How old were you? I think I was 19. Yeah, I think that sounds right. And there's a four-year age difference between us. So I was 23. If I could just sum up my general um, vibe of that season of life, it was impulsive. There wasn't a whole lot of thinking hard about the future and there wasn't a whole lot of caring what I did that could potentially affect the future. Fell right into the stereotype of like a naive kid who is thinks they're gonna live forever and can do whatever they want. And if it feels good now, just do it. I had impulsively moved out to California, was gone for a few months. That was the longest I had ever been away from my group of best friends and people that I had been best friends with. So one of those friends had met you on like a snowboarding trip, I think. He came out to visit you. I lived out in Colorado for a season, and so we would have friends come out and stay with us who wanted to take a ski trip or a snowboarding trip, whatever. And so he was in one of those groups that came out and visited. Yes. I guess it was the night that I got back, um, flew back home from California, Mm -hmm. and I had been talking to him about hanging out and partying the second we got back, and um, he was like, well... I'm supposed to hang out with this girl that same night. Can we do it another night? And I was like, no, man, there's this party I really want to go to. And you're going with me. I was like, just bring her too. And he was like, yeah, I'm not positive that she's like super going to be down for that. That's actually interesting because I was, I, I was not sitting at home reading my Bible. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Turns out you were super down for that. And, uh, but I knew that he had this big crush on you. You had a boyfriend at the time, right? But he was still in Colorado. Oh, yeah. Wait. Yeah. Yeah. Did I? There was somebody kind of in the picture. Maybe yes, they were. I did have in, a boyfriend. In out of the nope. They were in, they just lived out of state. And so. So my friend was trying to. He was trying to swoop in and be Mr. Still Your Girl. And um, and I think he was feeling pretty confident until he pulled up in the driveway and you and I were like, oh, I know of you. And you're like, I know of you. Mm-hmm. And because we, you and I grew up just right down the road from each other. Our parents grew up very close with each other. Our grandparents grew up very close with each other. So it was mm-hmm. like one of those things where... Um, It was serendipitous. Yeah, I know you. Mm -hmm. You knew me. But we had just never actually hung out or been really around each other. And you played on the same soccer team as my oldest brother when y'all were kids. You were like maybe the only girl on the team. I was. You and I met. We um, ended up immediately clicking. And our mutual friend was very quickly just like... Uh, boxed out of the picture and you and I started hanging out um, pretty consistently, but I was still kind of like, it felt kind of like I was living one foot in this old life and one foot in this new life because the more you and I hung out, I was getting to experience a lot of the, the positive byproducts of you just being a good human who loved the Lord and did life well and did being a friend well and there were just all these things that I was experiencing in a new friendship with you that I had never experienced before with any other friends um that if I could try and put words around it it's like the contagious fun and joy and light and I I wanted to be around that more and more and I found myself starting to like say no to going to parties on Friday night and text you and be like, what are you doing instead? You want to go throw water balloons? <laughs> I was also in such a weird season as far as like. You were dealing with a lot. Yeah. I think around the time you and I became friends is when this other situation kind of started also unfolding where um, there was a person in my life who had been kind of a mentor in some ways to me and um, was someone I looked up to, admired and respected, but was all along 
I guess starting probably when I was about 15 years old. Um, I met this person when I was in high school. They were in a position of leadership. It was a guy who was in, I guess when I met him, he was around 30 years old. Um, But over the span of a few years was... He was grooming you. How would you... He was grooming you. Yes. I didn't know if it was, if we're trying to like... Nope. Be all out with it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So yes, he was... He was in a position of leadership. He was, in a lot of ways, a mentor to me, someone I looked up to. Um, And starting probably, I guess, when I was 15 or 16, started grooming me. Um, And by the time I was about 19, I think I just turned 19, I had started seeing some glimpses of what was actually going on. I think I'm just now learning in the last few years of life and through many counseling sessions, how to hold both the, the fact that I was being groomed Mm -hmm. is over here. But at the same time, um, I also felt a lot of responsibility about that because I guess around the time I turned 19, I started seeing things that were happening and there was a part of me that liked the attention I was getting. Mm-hmm. And this person was someone who um, a lot of other girls my age and season of life would regularly talk about this guy, just like, oh, he's so hot. He's so blah, blah. Um, and so I think that in my, in some ways, naivety, but also in my own just flesh and impulsivity, just kind of was like, well, I'm sure it's not a big deal. I'm sure it's not going to actually go anywhere. Yeah, I see this person flirts with me and I kind of like it and I like that I'm the one getting the attention. So there were a lot of things that I was just kind of letting happen. I think around the time you and I met was when a lot of that stuff started unfolding. And I'd say over the following year is when things actually started happening that I was like, "Uh uh-oh, didn't mean for that to happen. Uh Uh-oh, didn't mean for that to happen. Uh Uh-oh, now I feel like I'm trapped in this situation Mm. where this man who is older was married with children. I felt like I was just, just trapped in a situation where I felt like I, because I recognized eventually that he was pursuing me and I not only didn't do anything to stop it, but was enjoying the attention I was getting on the front end. Um, I think I kind of used that as almost like chains that I'm putting on myself of like, oh, I, I owe it to him to not back out of this or to not like, I think I felt a lot of, a lot of guilt and shame. And even though I, in one sense was like, well, he's, the actual grown up here and like, he's the one married and he's the one it's up to him to like say no to the situation. Um, and it's up to him to be in charge. I feel like I don't, I never actually deep down felt that that was what was happening. I never, I never really felt like I was being groomed. I think I always felt like, Oh, I'm a female who got this person's attention. I'm just me and my wily ways. Like what have I done? You never viewed yourself as a victim. Yeah. And so there were a lot of times where I would try and like get the hell away from this person Mm -hmm. through many manipulative tactics. And just, I think the fact that there were a lot of secrets between just the two of us, there was something about it that kept me like, well, I don't have anybody else I can talk to about this. So there's, there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of trauma that I've experienced that at the time I wouldn't call it that. I would just call it, there's just, you know, a lot of crappy stuff I want to talk about with somebody, Mm -hmm. but I'm too afraid to actually talk to anybody about it who doesn't already know about it. So my only option is to stay in it and I guess just like keep letting things happen to me, keep being controlled by this person in the situation. One of the things that I both admired about you, but also I think we had a lot of conversations about 
was how much responsibility you took in this whole situation. And, you know, you said a lot, like, I knew what I was doing. I was a grown-up. Like, I was an adult. It takes two people. When in reality, which, sure, that may be true to a point, Mm -hmm. but the reality of it is this started when you were very much a child Mm -hmm. and you were very impressionable and very vulnerable. And just Mm -hmm. because it kind of peaked or climaxed when you were, quote, an adult, that doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that all the time and manipulation and coercion and whatever else that led to that point didn't make you a victim. Because it did, and you were. And I don't care how old you were and how much you think that you were responsible Mm -hmm. for at the end of the day, you were very much a victim in this situation. And I think that was something that you had a really hard time seeing because you were carrying so much guilt and so much shame. Mm -hmm. And like you said, that kept you in this situation Mm -hmm. far longer than you should have been because you felt like your hands were tied, which that's the whole point of an abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. That's like, that's the cycle of it. It's hard for me to imagine that I would have ever had the strength and just the clarity, because that's the thing when you're in the middle of trauma, there's, there's no clarity. There's no bird's eye view of the situation. All you can do is like basically make decisions off of what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. And what you're feeling so much of the time is, is just fight or flight. Yeah. I was very impressionable. And I feel like there was a lot of, a lot of moments where I'd start to feel like, oh, I've got the strength to end this once and for all. And it's like wild how easily this person in a 30 second phone call just dragged me right back down. I feel like a lot of me constantly trying to justify like why it's not his fault and why I think I just never wanted to be like, I grew up with two older brothers. I never wanted to be the kid who came across as, I don't know. I I didn't want to be a poo nanny for one thing. So like when my brothers would get in trouble, I would watch them like run for my parents when they're about to get a spanking. I almost like prided myself on being the one of us who just stood there waiting, mm-hmm. like, bottom, ready? Hit me with your best to- shot. <laughs> I earned. And I feel like I prided myself on trying to be tough and to just not be the victim. That was like so much ingrained into my DNA from such a young age. So I think part of it was just like, I'm not going to like push off responsibility to someone else. I knew what I was getting into, just all this stuff. But I feel like the very motivation for taking responsibility and staying in the situation, it it was like the very thing that was like killing me slowly. Hmm. (laughs) Trying to seem tough was the very thing that was like breaking me apart inside. That was very evident in just you as a human, like how much you had to wall your heart off to protect yourself. I mean, I didn't see you cry you were going through some crazy shit and I didn't see you cry for months. Um, And I don't even know if you like physically could because you were in such protective mode and you had to wall off your heart so strongly that that, I don't want to say lack of vulnerability because I I don't even know if it was that, but you just, you weren't capable of, being vulnerable in any situation because you were in, you had to self-protect so hard. Yes. I feel like I basically was numb at that point. And, and it's interesting. Once I started actually doing some counseling over the years, learning about the ability to just shut down and be numb being a defense mechanism, it was hard for me to wrap my mind around that because it felt so automatic at that point in life. Like it's, it's crazy. The, the years of learning how to do that, that I didn't even notice I was doing it. Hmm. 
that by the time I actually wanted to try and open up and you and I, when we moved in together, I remember there being moments where I'm, I would think like, I really want to talk to her about this, but I don't even know how. And then I'd think like, if I talk to her about this and I don't have a single emotion, then I'm just going to come across like a robot who has no soul and like my brain and my heart would just shut down. That was like my, my go-to thing, which I feel like that was a lot of the, the party and hard was like the only thing that I was okay with myself feeling was the good times. Mm -hmm. And so I tried to keep those rolling. Mm -hmm. I think you being open with your story with me is probably like what helped pop that jar open in me. I think seeing, seeing that being tough, because right off the bat after meeting you, I'm like, oh, you're one of the toughest people I've ever met. Never mind the fact that you're the toughest girl I've ever met. And hearing your story and seeing you be vulnerable with me, it's like it gave my subconscious the permission it was waiting for to actually open up with another person. And I think there's a whole lot you could say about that. I feel like growing up in a, in a Southern Baptist church as a small child and learning that unless your prayer request is unspoken, it's going to get talked about by everybody. In town. Um, Dude, I forgot about the unspoken prayer request. Um, mine's unspoken. It's like, yeah, Judy, we know all 11 of yours have been unspoken because you all gossip about each other come Monday at school. So nobody wants to actually tell what's going on in their life. So I feel like my experience, even with my closest girlfriends, and I was guilty of this just as much as them, but like, it was, it was just an assumed thing. If you open up about something juicy to your girlfriends, like even your closest friends, my experience would be, it'll be talked about with everybody around. And like, it'll be, they might seem like they care in the moment, but it's actually just ammo for a later fight between you, or it's just another juicy story for them to get excited that they know about and run and tell other people. And so I feel like something I never even knew I needed until, until I got it from you was a friend who not only was vulnerable and honest um, and, and generous with sharing your story, because I knew how hard it was to, to open up. I would just think like, it's, it's honestly so generous and selfless of you to be willing to, to share the hardest parts of your life with me, knowing that at that point in time, like we had moved in together, but it's not like we had been best friends our whole lives. And there were a lot of areas where trust was still being built just because we had just started hanging out not long before that. And, and I feel like you took a risk in love by sharing the hard parts of your life with me. Um, and that was something that I just had not experienced. And there was a level of comfortability with you when I started opening up that I was like, wow, I never even knew it could feel like this. I, I don't know that I've experienced sharing something real with a girlfriend and not being afraid that it's going to be used against me or gossip spread all over town. Every time I sat down with you and shared things that I was going through and feeling, I feel like... I just experienced the love of Christ sitting across from me when I was sharing those things. And you were, you were always very patient. You weren't pushy with what you probably in your head thousand percent knew exactly what I should do and had a whole playbook of advice up there for me. But the advice is not what stands out to me to this day. What stands out to me is having someone sit across from me and listen to actually hear what I'm feeling and acknowledge what I was feeling and just like, let me know that you were going to go through it with me. And you would encourage me with so much biblical truth and you would speak life over me. And I think you could tell at the time that I was still taking on a lot of the responsibility and guilt and shame. And I think it would have been easy for you to just be like, step in girls, empowering girls and be like, no, screw that guy. Like, just be done with him. And it's all his fault. It's none, none of it's your fault. But I think that you knew, like, I think you knew I just needed, I needed to know that somebody was there with me. I feel like it, it felt like one of those things where I'm like sitting in a ball in a pit and 
you rappelled down there with me and you were like, I mean, I could just tell her like there's ropes right here and like, I'll carry her up whenever she's ready. But I think right now she just like needs somebody to sit in the pit for a little bit and just like hold her on the floor in between the bed and that tiny gap and laugh and cry together and like, and just be there. And I think so, so many times it's like easy to preach to people. It's easy enough to look at somebody else's life and see exactly all the things that they should be doing differently, but to have the patience almost to not constantly point out all those things and just to like do life with them, praying for them and encouraging them. That's what you see when you read about the life of Jesus. You see about him just sitting down to a meal with people and hanging out and telling stories. And like he did life with people and he let that be, he let that be the gospel to these people. And I feel like, I feel like for me, that was like me experiencing the gospel, not in words or a spiel or an altar call on a Sunday. That was me experiencing the gospel through, through you being generous with your story and just being present and patient with my story. And then over time, it was like so much easier to slowly get more and more strength to break out of a shitty abusive situation Um, and to see it for what it was, because the more I saw the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and believed in the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, just gained more clarity and more confidence and, um, was able to see the situation for what it was. And gosh, now that I'm 32, like I remember when I turned 30, this is odd thing to think about, but if you're someone who's been through sexual abuse and trauma, um, it's kind of crazy the random moments of your life that those memories will just pop right back up. And I used to be afraid of those popping back up. And that was another journey I had to learn is not to be afraid of that. And I remember turning 30 and thinking like, I'm the age he was when he started grooming me. And I'm 32 right now. And I feel so old sometimes. (laughs) And I feel like I've been through so much life I'm not the wisest soul on the planet, but I feel like I, I'm on a, a journey to becoming more wise. And I'm, I'm recognizing, I'm just recognizing these areas of my life where I'm like proud of myself, but also remembering what age this man was when he started pursuing an inappropriate relationship with me, who was a 19 year old girl. And so now that I'm 32, I'm still two years away from the age he was when he decided to turn that into a physical relationship. And it's kind of, it's, it's a lot easier now looking back to see like, yeah, that wasn't okay. One thing I learned um, sitting across from a counselor one day and I was like, well, I mean, it wasn't, I wouldn't necessarily call it um, being sexually abused or groomed because I was like, once it got to that point, I, I kind of knew like, oh, this is going too far. This is going over the line. And I didn't really do much to stop it. And I remember her being like, Taylor, this, this man was how old? 33, 34 years old. And you had just turned 19. And and it didn't just start then. Like it had yeah. been progressing for a long time. And she was just like, you'd be one of many girls who allows your abuser to convince you that it's your fault. It happens all the time. But any situation where there's this huge gap between whether it's a huge gap in age or just someone in a position of leadership over you or like there's all kinds of scenarios where people end up finding themselves in the same position I was in and either convincing themselves or being convinced by their abuser that it's their fault or at least just as much their fault. And you're never going to really find healing until you can call a spade a spade. I do feel like it's crazy how much, I mean, that that was a counseling appointment I had probably four years ago. And so it had been a while since I was even in that situation years ago. And I thought that I had moved on from it and thought that I'd grown from it and 
had a healthy perspective of the whole situation. And it's crazy to look back and see all of the weight that was lifted off when I started actually calling it what it was. And I remember like at that point in time, I still was not a big crier, but I remember the moment that I said out loud with a counselor, like, okay, yeah, I was, I was groomed by someone I trusted. And that led to a very inappropriate sexual relationship that was abusive. And I remember just like crying so hard Mm. after that. And was it like a release for you? Yeah. It's like crazy how much power believing a lie has over your entire soul and your being and affects all these little decisions that you think are insignificant when they're, when they're being made um, out of a place of believing this lie about yourself and believing a lie about the other person because you're not doing them any favors by not calling it what it is. Mm-hmm. I think that's something else that I had a really hard time getting to the point where I'm like seeing that God's grace for us so much of the time is sometimes letting us experience the consequences of our action and his mercy for us can look like letting us fall on our asses real hard so that we go forward a lot more careful. Once I actually called it what it was, I started actually being able to do like the deep healing, the parts of me that I couldn't even see that needed healing. Those things started to come up and yeah, it's been a long process. I think one of the things from my perspective that really drew me to you was I was coming out of a season where everything was, everything that I believed, everything that I was taught, everything that I had just built my way of thinking on and world perspective had been challenged and had been just completely overturned. And I didn't know what I believed. I didn't know what was real, what wasn't, and was dealing with grief of my own. And I think what was so attractive about you was you were the first person that I did life with that there you just you cut the bullshit and that was something that I hadn't experienced before like you were so just okay being you and what you see is what you get and it was so refreshing to be with someone who was just unapologetically them and you didn't pretend like you had it all together. You didn't even insinuate that you had it all together. You're like, no, like, this is me. I don't know WTF what's happening over here or what I believe or whatever, but here we are. And that was, that's always something that I just love about you is just how, I mean, you're, you're Taylor and TK is, nothing but TK. And that um, was really, really helpful for me during that season of questioning and of confusion. And it was just a breath of fresh air. So it's funny that we were exactly what each other needed in that time of our lives. And even though it was very different and what we were to each other was very different, it was I mean, it was clearly orchestrated to be exactly what it needed to be. But I want to also give a little or put a little conversation around the grieving process that you experienced when you were trying to get out of this situation. Because I think where it's really complicated and confusing is I think people can think that it's just a black and white situation emotionally and if you you know know that it's an abusive situation or it's from the outside looking in seems very clearly to be an abusive situation it's not that black and white to the victims and I remember us sitting at a Mexican restaurant and both of us just we didn't we didn't talk or anything we just both sat there crying at the table because we were both grieving very different things, but I don't hear a lot of compassion maybe for that side of it from people who've never been in the situation. Because at the end of the day, you cared for this person, you know, Mm -hmm. you like you loved this person and you trusted this person. And there was still 
all of these weird tie, emotional ties and whatever else that regardless of the fact that it was an unhealthy, unsafe, toxic situation, that doesn't change the fact that those emotions were still there and you still had to grieve that aspect of it. Was that hard for you? And like, did you experience guilt for feeling sad about cutting things off, not even from like being manipulated to stay in it, but just from a choosing to walk away. Did you experience guilt for like missing that or being sad? Or Yes. I, I feel like that is one of those things where um, <laughs> that's where it was helpful having you as a best friend and roommate again, because I feel like you and I were so real with each other. I remember getting to the point where there were even some moments with you that I was like, oh, I can't, like, I'm in such a sad mood right now, but I need to, I need to like get it together and be a good time this Friday night because like, how am I going to tell people I'm so sad because uh, I'm basically going through a breakup with someone who's married who I shouldn't be in a relationship with to begin with. So I'm like, how does one act like that's not happening? How do I in a relationship without crying in front of everyone when people aren't supposed to know that I was in this relationship to begin with. And like, I remember <laughs> there was like one weekend that, and the, that person had reached out to me and sent me this text message basically saying like, I had to call them that someone had said something to him indicating they knew what had gone on and that it was my fault and I had clearly been telling people and that I'm bad mouthing him and I remember being so anxious and distraught yeah I I just remember feeling so conflicted because I was having to choose to walk away from something that in certain moments felt really good to me and there were certain moments where the attention from this person who I thought highly of and had all this emotional attachment to, there were moments where I, I was aware that it's completely inappropriate and not okay, but just didn't care, I guess is the best way to put it. I just made decisions within that relationship based on what I felt. I think what you were saying as far as you were going through a breakup that... Mm -hmm you couldn't tell anyone about because you shouldn't have been going through this breakup because you shouldn't have been in this relationship from the mm -hmm. beginning. So not only mm -hmm. are you dealing with heartbreak, you're mm -hmm. also suffering in silence because you can't tell anybody. And then not only are you suffering in silence, but you're dealing with the guilt of suffering in silence because you're going through a breakup because you're in a situation that you weren't supposed to be in. So I can only imagine just the heaviness of all of that and yes. you carrying that on your own and not being able to get the support that you should have been getting from friends and family and but then also dealing with a really, really sticky situation, not just not being able to tell people, but actively trying to keep it from people as well. Yeah. I'm, I think about like, even like little things, um, such as dating. I, mm. for about a year after actually like ending it with this person and refusing to respond to text messages, just like cutting them out of my life. And there was a little part of me too, that was like, I know I could just block them, but then I'm like, but I'm curious, like when he texts me, I feel like I need to stay in the know about mm. did somebody else find out or did blah, blah, blah. And so I'm like, I feel like I can't block him because I need to know if something goes awry. And so there are just all these stupid little things that would go through my mind. But I remember there was a dude who had asked me several times to go on a date with him. And I kept using all the excuses as to why I couldn't. And I actually liked this guy, but he lived in the same neighborhood as this other person. And my brain would always trying to, you know, avoid the, avoid the painful things and the shitty things, avoid the drama, avoid anything that's going to take away from fun in my life. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking like, no, cause if I actually, if I actually ever have my car at your house and he sees my car there, I'm like, I'm going to have to get a different car because then. I'm going to hear from him or I don't even know. He could just show up and knock on the door and be like, 
really you're dating this guy and just yeah there were things like that that I was like wow so for all those reasons I'm not going to go on a date with you because it would never work because our paths would cross with this person just trying to figure out like there were just so many ways that I remember thinking like oh I can't go I was driving through um, the part of town where he lived one day and I was like could not decide which grocery store to stop at for this thing I needed because I was like trying to remember which grocery store he goes to to make sure I didn't bump into him and for a lot of reasons to avoid the drama but also just because the emotional attachment it's like trying to get a freaking spider web off you when you finally when you finally get it off of you the thought of accidentally walking into another web is like oh my god then it's gonna take another year to like get that person off me Mm -hmm. I think the fact that trauma trauma bonds people so a lot of times it's the very person that is that you're in the shitty situation with that you find yourself so intertwined with emotionally it's just like this never-ending cycle of of crap and sticky spider webs um even when I got away from him there was there was this hopelessness that I felt about ever really being able to move on from him in that situation. I mean, like years, two or three years later, I had not talked to him for several years. And I remember being in a pretty serious relationship at that point. I say pretty serious. Uh, we were engaged, but, <laughs> and I remember thinking like, I have to tell this person about the situation. It was so terrifying. The thought of telling someone new about the situation. And I was like, mm. you know, I don't really need to tell anybody. I could just not be married ever. And I'll just, <laughs> it'll just be me and Amanda taking this one to the grave. <laughs> and And I remember like, honestly, it took a big hit on my confidence for a lot of years. Deep down, a big part of me that I refused to actually pay attention to or call it what it was, was so like bogged down with shame. I almost felt like if the guy was good enough for me to want to be him in a hypothetical future dating situation, if I found a guy that I thought highly enough of, I'd think to myself, well, if he's that good of a guy, then he's not going to want me. Hmm. So I kind of felt like I was just stuck in this situation of like, well, I guess I might as well keep dating the partiers and the dumbasses because if a guy actually loves Jesus, if the guy is actually a decent human being, then he can probably do a lot better than me anyway. He can be with someone who he doesn't have to hear all the stupid decisions that they've made. And there was, there was a lot of weight still on my back. Even as we were back to going up that mountain together and out of the pit, I feel like there still was like so much crap on my back. There's so much weight on my back that even when I joined arms with you and we headed out of that pit together, there was just the emotional weight from experiencing a breakup with someone that I had been so emotionally attached to and invested in. And there was the shame of realizing more and more and more who all was experiencing pain from my situation. Mm. My parents found out about it in a very traumatic way for them. And I think I, oddly enough, to be someone who feels so numb about my own pain, I never really lost the, I was never really able to fully be numb about other people's pain. Mm -hmm. I was like overwhelmed at times with shame, thinking of how much hurt my family was feeling in his family. And that was really heavy. And then on top of that, the hopelessness was a heavy weight because I just felt this hopeless, like a lot of distrust in men for one thing. Mm-hmm. leading me to avoid future relationships, but then also feeling like if a guy is trustworthy, that I wasn't worthy of him. You're married now. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> was there a turning point as far as what you believed about yourself and what you believed that you were worthy of? Um, or was that something that you kind of just had to close your eyes and jump <laughs> Or where, where did that shift happen? I feel like while a lot of these positive motions happened over time, there was actually one night that was really impactful for me where um, my parents, they knew a lot about my situation. And like I said, kind of found out about it in a pretty traumatic way for them. I tried to spare them a lot of the details over the following year or so as I untangled from that 
person. When I was in my first real serious relationship, a couple years down the road, I got to the point where I was like, I feel like I should tell this guy about the situation. And I felt like I had, we had built enough trust at that point. Um, and I shared, I shared kind of the overall situation with him without going into details. And he was very upset about everything he heard. And he was demanding to know a lot of details. And I was like, the thing is, I don't think that's healthy for you to hear. And I'm positive it's not healthy for me to dive back into unless you have some kind of certification in psychology I should know about that you're hiding from me. I don't really care to unpack that with you. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm going to need a professional to sit across from me when I do that. It was like days went by and he was kind of avoiding me and was just kind of angry that I was refusing to answer some of his questions about it. And my parents, they could see the guilt and the shame welling back up in me. And they could see me kind of having this internal battle in my brain of like, I don't know. I don't know what, thinking back on Andy, what does love require of you? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it's love to tell this person all the nasty details that he can never unhear. Mm. Or if it's love to not tell him and just continue to let him be mad at me and just say like, no, those are not details that I'm comfortable sharing. My parents kind of, I remember them talking to me about boundaries and they were just like, you don't owe anyone those hurtful details that are not going to do anything to bring about healing in you or them. If it's not helping move forward, then just leave it where it belongs, which is way back there years ago. I mean, my parents have a crazy story themselves. And so we talked a lot about their story. I remember my dad just saying like, God is right here with you, but he's standing in front of you, calling you forward to him. Just the imagery of Jesus standing in front of me, waiting on me like, girl, I don't even care about the dirtiest, shittiest parts of your past have nothing to do with how I want to use you going forward. Like I only want good things for you and I only want to build my kingdom. If you're wasting even one more minute just stuck in this muck of shame, then you're not doing my will. That's not my will for you. My will for you is not to like keep beating yourself up and keep reliving the past in an unhealthy way over and over again. And I think it helped me sort through the difference between looking back on your past long enough to reprocess it in a healthier way. And then outside of that, letting it be in the past, just like leaving it be. It's crazy how like when I started the next day, I just felt a million times lighter. I started to actually, without trying really hard myself, but just through constantly asking God like, okay, don't let me forget that. Don't let me forget what you've said about who I am. Don't let me get stuck in my own head and my own thoughts. And I feel like I started to feel so much more confident, so much more, I guess, just free to share my story without it, without feeling this worry about how I was going to come across as I shared my story. Like, am I about to ruin this person's opinion of me if I share the story? I had shared my story with you while I was in the middle of it. I had shared a lot of parts of my story with my parents over the years. And so my motivation for sharing in those times was needing help with healing and needing help with getting out of the situation. And then I migrated from that to, okay, we've moved a little further down the road. And now I'm sharing the story because I feel like I owe it to other people. Like, hmm. I don't want to be considered a liar anymore. I don't want to be all these things that I identified. I think there were just all these things that I, if somebody said, describe yourself, if I was being truthful, I'm like, um, well, I'm a liar. I'm a skank. Um, I'm immature, naive, party way too hard. All these things. I feel like the, the labels that I was putting on myself, I thought, okay, how do I rip those off? maybe by starting to tell my story to other people. So I would share it like when I would date guys, if we made it to a second or third date, I might start to share a little bit of the story with them because I'm like, well, 
I don't want them to be able to say I was a liar ever down the road. I don't want them to be able to say that I hid something from them. My motivation became that. And then it was like after this night where my parents prayed over me, spoke truth to me, and God just comforted my heart and helped me to completely change my mindset. I feel like I started feeling the freedom to share my story, not because I needed help, not because I owed it to the person I was sharing it with, but simply because I thought like, I want the person hearing it to hear God all throughout it. And I want the other person to hear it, to like find some piece of it that speaks to them about who God says they are, wanted it to be a, a hopeful repelling rope for other people to hold on to. It's cool to look back and see that process and that change over the years between what my story even meant to me. I love that. And I've been able to witness some of that, even just with you sharing to high schoolers and um, what I was saying about you just being unapologetically you. So many people are drawn to that because you have such just a vivacious, joyful presence that people are automatically drawn to that. And so it's like, I feel like you can earn people's trust really easily. And because of that, you've been able to speak into some lives that other people wouldn't be able to speak into. Um, and it's been fun to see this evolution of you because it's so apparent. And honestly, it's one of, it is one of the most evident transformation stories that I've ever witnessed in my whole entire life. And I know it hasn't been easy. And I know that there's, you know, there's times where you've had to take two steps back to take a step forward, but you've continued taking the steps and you have done it with humor and you've done it with a smile on your face and you've done it with optimism. And even when it was crappy and even when most people would have thrown in the towel or would have continued sitting in the suck, it wasn't good enough for you. And you continued to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and keep moving. And that says a lot about who you are and your character. And it's one of the reasons that I love you so much. And I'm proud of you. You are one of the only people that I get emotional about. And I'm actually really proud of myself for not having got emotional this whole time. And I'm not going to do it now. <laughs> but it has genuinely been an honor for me to be able to be your friend and to just watch you turn into and con and continually turn into just such a beautiful human. So thank you for allowing me to be your friend, to be the Usher Raymond to your Shakira. Um, I'm so thankful that you were willing to dive into that part of your story because I think that this situation, unfortunately, is so much more common than we think, especially with teenagers and people in positions of power and leadership, whether it be teachers or coaches or uh, church leaders, or it's just way more common than we think. And I think that there are so many girls and boys who find themselves in a situation like this, and it goes on far longer than it should. They experience more trauma than anyone those ages should. It completely obliterates their perception of authority or relationships or love mm -hmm. and they just don't know how to get out of it and so yeah. you know it can turn into even worse than than it already is and I'm thankful that you were able to get out when you were and I hope and and I don't just hope I know and I believe that your story will either encourage someone to be able to just use their voice and finally speak out about something, or if it's just the truth of who they are and what they're worthy of because of who they're created to be, that they're just reminded of that. I hear somebody come out after 15 years of holding on to this trauma all by themselves, and they finally decided to share it. And I'm like, to me, that's just further evidence that God is constantly pursuing and chasing after us. And I feel like it's beautiful to see someone who, after 15 years of holding on to that weight, finally decided to come forward. 
and and invite other people to help them like take the load off and mm-hmm. help get healing because <laughs> I feel like it there's no there's no surprise at all to me that someone waits years to come out and talk about their trauma. I'm my thought is like my gosh, how many people has it been 20, 30, 40 years and they've never come out with it? That's probably the more shocking number. If I could say one thing to someone who's been blessed enough to not go through that, I would just say, if you hear someone who's finally decided to share their story and open up about their experience with any kind of emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, any type of trauma and relationships, if they have waited years to come forward with it, that's not a sign that it's not true or or that they're overreacting or... It's usually a sign that 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 person has done some hard work and has had the courage to like finally come forward and talk about it. It's a sign of bravery to me. With any situation, the further something is in the past and the harder it is to rip the scab off. You're used to living with the wound. You're used to living with the scar. You're used to living with the scab. So Mm -hmm. who wants to dig back into that when you've gotten used to living with the pain? You know, so um, I completely agree with you. I think it takes so much courage and it takes so much bravery, um, no matter where you are in the journey, but especially as time goes. Step Brothers or Wedding Crashers? No, Step Brothers, when they did the On a Boat music video. Is that Step Brothers? Yeah. Uh huh. I, I wish we had something like that to like be the outro. Nachos, lemon heads, my dad's boat. We won't go down because my can float. <laughs> and with that we'll see you next week on report report every time i i produce a court brendan that is offensive <laughs>